is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome, everybody. We open up the locker room. It's Wolf, Starks, and the Ninjas in the locker room, ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. And thank you for joining us. We are so appreciative. You know, we really do have Max, but I got to tell you something. The old man in me is really kind of enjoying this. Now, just just understand, Max okay. is one of these very intelligent, very well-versed, high-tech guys, okay? One of these guys that, you know, I, I really admire him. He's got his life together, can do a lot of things. He's moving around, flies all over the country every week. And this past weekend, my good man not only forgot his luggage <laughs> as he flies, Vegas. Then he's got to go and buy more to come to Pittsburgh. And then when he's supposed to get on the show last night, the point after, my good man says to me, why didn't you answer my text? And all of a sudden he shows me this picture. Oh, that's why. He forgot to press the button. Max, what's going on? I, You know what? I always say I can dumb down any crowd. I think, my friend, I put you under my spell. <laughs> no, hey, hey, no. I mean, I know that you, you know, in this situation, you always want to give credit when credit is due. <laughs> but uh, in this situation, Wolf, uh, I, I think, I think, I think, uh, twenty cross country flights have finally gotten to me. Uh, <laughs> but no, but the funny thing is, because I was asked to do it, but I did not receive any instruction. I thought somebody would have said, "Hey, Max, connect to such and such before the show starts." Right, right. Never got that. <laughs> and then I was trying to text you. Then I'm like. I'm like, it's halfway through the show right now. I'm like, what's the point of even texting? I'm like, <laughs> getting on for a segment maybe? Yeah, really. <laughs> At like, this yeah. point, uh, go to bed. That's what you do. Go to bed. Relax. Exactly. So so I read through Minnesota Vikings press clippings instead. Oh, <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go. Well, I it did is something a, constructive. You <laughs> did. It's a quick turnaround and good for you. You're not chasing yeah. rattlesnakes off your front lawn. You know, hey, you, too cold now. Too yeah, cold this time of year. The dog is, is you removed the squeaker from the dog. And now you That's only right. got to deal with remembering to push the button on text and your luggage. There you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, now I mean, with this short week, the good thing is my bags are already packed. Wolf. <laughs> ah, that's uh, right. How you like that? <laughs> You're ahead of the game already, brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But hey, last place becomes first place. <laughs> touche, my friend. Touche. Well, I'll tell you, touche to another guy. You know, there's a couple of guys we got to talk about. And one of the quick things on a, or the big things on a quick turnaround is that. As Mike Tomlin said, you know, um, it's hard to catch a moving train. You know, that that sort of idea. You know, you've got some guys coming back and everything. But, you know, you take a look at the, the contributions of a guy like John LeGlue, okay? Now, here you go, John. He gets in the game because he replaced uh, B.J. Finney, who had replaced yeah. J.C. Hassenauer, who had replaced Kevin Dotson. You know, um, Joe Hag has also spent time. Why does that sound like a Bible verse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who, who, be, who begat? Who, who begat? Finney, yeah, the who begat. begat yeah. Hour, who, Go to Matthew who, and you get a whole line of begats. All right. Yeah, you will be getting the rest of the of the, the uh, of the day. Yes. I couldn't even see my tongue got tied on that one. Well, I was too much begatting. <laughs> too much begatting. There you go. Mm. So think about this. You're John Leglue. You've been in the NFL since 2019. You haven't had 
any NFL snaps, all right, no reps in the big leagues. You've been there for practice. You've been practice squads, that sort of thing. You get an opportunity in Pittsburgh. You're in training camp. And, um, you know, one of the things that happens, you get run, uh, there's a run on the offensive line, and you start to have that opportunity to show that, well, you know, just like in college, I played tackle, I played guard, and I played center. And you start to do that. And let me tell you something, that that mimics the great Tunchilkin, who played every position from left tackle to right tackle and all points in between and did so for a couple of years before he was able to become a starter and become a starter at one point when Ron Blackledge, Blackie, our, our line coach, said to him, he said, Tunch, what can I do for you? What can I help you with to make you better? And Tunch said, leave me in one spot. Put him at right tackle. And a couple Pro Bowls later, he's one of the greatest all-time in Steeler history. So the point is, you know, I look at this guy, John LeGlue, and you look at the fact that he was thrown into this, Max. What do you take from a, from a guy who makes his first NFL appearance in such a big game as a Ravens game? Uh, l- listen, the Ravens game can make or break careers. Uh, you know, the biggest stage, uh, I think, for the regular season, for the AFC North, um, if you're Pittsburgh, is the Ravens. And I think the Ravens would say the same about us. Um, you know, yes, I'll, I'll give credence to, you know, Cincinnati is the most competitive of the Ohio's uh, <laughs> <laughs> football team. The most competitive um, of the Ohio's. Yeah, it was I, like the, I should say in, in the 2000s, okay? In the okay. 2000s, gotcha. it, it would be Cincinnati. Um, but that th- this is th- this is that game. This is that rivalry game. This is this is the game that <coughs> if you're going to say, "Hey, the NFL is nothing like college," this is as close as you get to college. This is this is about the equivalent to a college rivalry game. And for John Leglue, knowing the situation, feeling the energy of the stadium, because that's also another thing that lets you know what the temperature is <laughs> when you walk <laughs> in that stadium. Right, right. Um, you know, he, he answered the call. He answered the call. He looked he you know, he looked a little a little deer in the headlights early on, you know, had his struggles, but he picked it up. He picked it up and he answered the call. I mean, this is something we were talking about back and forth. The offensive line grew up last night. Yeah. Uh, or two nights ago. Sorry. Yeah, that's uh, this right. Is not a, this, You're this still going back and forth. Tuesday. Yeah, I know. I'm still going back and forth. What time zone am I in again? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but th- this was a moment for them to grow. When you think about the struggles they had a week before, right, in Cincinnati, you think about the slide that they had for the last couple of weeks. And to come in – and for Matt Canada, here, 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 here's my kudos to Canada, is to keep the intent on running the football in this right. game. Oh, that was huge. Just huge. That was huge because that's what that, cause the, cause the dam started to crack. And it started did. to break in the end. Because at first I was like, man, are we ever going to get like a five-yard-plus run, you know, in the game? <laughs> right, like, right. Because everything was two yards. Everything was three yards. Everything was off schedule. And then it finally did. The offensive line answered the call. Like you said, John McGlue coming in, battering guys on double teams, pulling around on on counter schemes, and it finally wore through. So I have to give kudos to him. Kendrick Green grew up. Um, Boy, he took a step forward. 
He took a step forward. Dan Moore coming back in. Yeah. You know, a, a, after going down, look, look, it looked, it looked not horrible, but it looked bad. Right. Enough that you're like, okay, maybe this is it. But no, one play, waited a defensive series, came back in the game, and Chooks, Chooks battled. Chooks battled Boy, he in did. the game. Yeah. So, you know. Well, you look at that. And don't forget Trey, Trey Turner, Turner too, because he's the Trey old man of the offensive line. Old man, but I expect it from him. The other right. ones, I need to see it to prove it. Like you're he, right. He's yep. uh, he's our he's already Missouri. Yeah, he's already been to the Show Me State. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so he's good. Uh, but yeah, but the rest of the guys that needed to grow, I felt grew in that moment. So it gives me a lot of hope, especially on a short week, right? Going to a Minnesota team, they're smarting from their wounds. They just got their butts whipped by. Uh, they did by Detroit. Detroit. So who put posted their first ones. win of the season? First one. How about first that, one. baby? Can you there imagine? Dan Campbell. <laughs> Dan Campbell probably freaking out of his mind, you know, because oh. he's he's now got his first win. Oh, I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to go zero and sixteen or to go, you know, zero and. I don't know what, uh, you know, 0 and 11, 0 11 and 1 or whatever it was they're at, and then finally yeah. get that win. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I could never imagine it because every team sport that I've played since the beginning of time, I've, I've never I've never been that low. <laughs> I mean, and neither have you, Wolf. So no, I, mean, I, just, I, can, I just I can't imagine it. It's just, ah. I'll tell you one that, that, that I, I wish. My craw. How about this? My senior year in high school, we had a teacher strike. We were 5-0, and oh, all right? We were playing the only other undefeated team in Western New York that week, and the teachers walked out, and we had no games after that. Oh. Uh, Can you imagine? But you but, but you got an undefeated season. Yeah, we, was un, we were 5-0. 5-0, yeah. oh. <laughs> we, oh, undefeated that's season. It. There you go, baby. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but, yeah, you're right. No, I, I could not imagine, you know, when you, like, there's so much promise, right? There's, yes. And you're getting – you're getting to test yourself, especially at that age, right? Right. You know, it's like you always want to measure up, you know, whether it's dad, whether it's the opponent, the crosstown rival, whether it's the all-star athlete at the other school or right, even in your right, own school. Right. You're always looking for those opportunities to measure up. That's that's the testosterone building in the system. <laughs> the reservoir's building at that point. That's so exactly like, okay, it. I want to do that. And then just to just, ah, come up short. Yeah, no, that, no that would be frustrating. Let's go back to John LeGlue because I think this is uh, – there's something about the young man that really you, you, you root for. I mean, there's a little story here that you root for. The fact that he's been in the NFL since 2019. The fact that he's not taken any NFL snaps. The fact that he's probably going to, I would think, have the opportunity to start on a short week Thursday night because he finished the game. You, you give him another opportunity to go out and do what he's already been doing. But the fact that his parents – Actually got to the – I think Cincinnati was the game where they came to watch. Um, they did not get to the, the Baltimore game. But what a cool thing to be able to get out there and get your first NFL snaps. And the young man even said, man, I definitely teared up when I made the 53 because you and I both know, and I never experienced – we never had practice squads and, and stuff like that, um, yeah. you know, nowadays such as you have. Uh, but, you know, the fact is – that's quite an accomplishment, and kudos to this kid that he has stuck with it and battled and battled. And, you know, that's exactly how you get a diamond. You know what I mean? That's what it's yeah. all about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's about pressure. I mean, 
you know, John McGlue's story sounds very similar to another guy who I, I assume will be getting a gold jacket one of these days, James Harrison. Right. <laughs> I mean, how, how many times can you get cut? You know, and, and was it what, was it five or six times he got cut? It was I mean, five times. It was three times by the Ravens. I think two times by the Steelers. Okay, yeah. And so you know that that sounds very eerily similar. And we see what happened after that, right? Yeah. <laughs> we see the career that James Harrison had. So I mean, John Leglue. I mean, there there's plenty of precedents. There's yes. plenty of stories to draw on, and it's just happy to possibly see one unfolding before us. Because that's what it is. It's prep when preparation meets opportunity, you get these type of situations, right? You know, so as long as you stay ready, you never got to get ready, Wolf. <laughs> that's why your luggage was in your trunk and you're already ready for the Minnesota trip. I already saw Minneapolis. I already saw <laughs> Minneapolis in that moment. No doubt. So for LeGlue, I'm excited for him. I mean, for the opportunity to be able to go out there and maybe. Um, have that that uh, first start. That's a big one. Uh, again, another guy, Deontay Johnson. Again, we we were talking about it yesterday. You know, and I I can't say enough about the the ability uh, for him to rebound from what he went through last year. He led the NFL in drops, right? Uh, as of now, I guess in Pro Football Focus, they've got him down on on one or two drops over 120 targets, which is sensational. When you lead the NFL last year and you come back and you're now at the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, that that drop in the second in the first half there at the end of the second quarter, when he dropped that one Ben, you thought maybe last year that might have sent him into a tailspin, but he comes out and has yeah. a big big second half, including two fourth quarter touchdowns. Max, you love to see young men rise up, mature, overcome any deficiencies, and become that consummate pro. Kudos, I would say, to Deontay Johnson. In his third year, he shows you he's a consummate pro. Well, and, and it also shows you can learn from your mistakes, right? Right. <laughs> That's the other thing, that you can self-evaluate and that you can remedy the situation on your own as opposed to having someone do it for you. So, I mean, Deontay, huge second half. I mean, coming up with over 100 yards receiving, it's, it, it's going to be needed this Thursday. So I'm glad that <laughs> his head is screwed on tight. Yes. Because uh, definitely after that hit, on that drop, oh, when yes. he got hit on the sidelines, that that was that was, I mean, that was helmet to helmet. That was contact. I'm like, that I don't was know. defenseless. Hello, we're not going to talk about the referees. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not, Never I'm mind. Not trying to get you'll fined. get fined. I'm not getting fined on Tuesday. I'm not getting fined on Tuesday. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, I believe we got the great Bob Labriola coming up. Steelers Digest editor and, and the guy who writes asked and answered one of my favorite columns because there's just so much that. Comes out of there, and, of course, game day contributor and all-around great football knowledge and Steelers historian. We'll be back with Bob after this. This is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Welcome back, everybody, and we are excited. This is always one of my favorite times of the week because we get to probe the brain of somebody who's actually got a brain <laughs> rather than uh, some yeah. people who leave luggage and can't remember to press the button on their texts and that sort of issues. Not that I'm pointing fingers, hey. Max. Maybe an elbow. Okay, how's that? Just, just, just remember, if you point 
One finger at me, three point back at you, Wolf. That's why I pointed my elbow. Uh, <laughs> All right. Five in that direction. Five back in that direction. <laughs> All right, you got me on mathematics alone. <laughs> All right, let's bring in one of our favorite guys, the, the excellent Bob Lebriola, who's a Steelers historian and Steelers Digest editor and all things Steelers. Bob, how you doing, my friend? Pretty good, uh, Wolf. Uh, nice winter day out, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. You know, this you is tell this. Tell Max the temperature. No, I didn't tell him the temperature. What is it like? Twenty-three degrees or something now? Uh, it's high twenties. Oh, high, oh, we got through the upper twenties. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got down there, Max? You're saying all the things that make me not miss it. It's fifty-four right now. The high is seventy-three <laughs> today. <laughs> oh, Labs. So, Labs. First thing off, you know, I just I just wanted to hear what you had to think about uh, when you think about a guy like Deontay Johnson, and you see what he went through last year, the fact that it caught him, you know, I mean, uh, really put him on the bench for a period of time. And, you know, you go through a, a period of suffrage like that, but the kid never stopped working, never stopped believing, obviously did something in the offseason to really give him uh, not just the physical tools to overcome the drops because he, he was one of the, the – he had the most drops in the NFL last year, one of the top guys, uh, but – that drop in the second quarter, had that happened last year, I think could have been even even more devastating than the Buffalo game. And yet he overcame that with a brilliant second half, two fourth quarter touchdowns. But something like that, I love to see the story unfold as these guys mature and become the consummate pros. Well, yeah, Deontay Johnson even, you know, kind of admitted that, that, you know, in a previous year, that drop in the end zone um, against the Ravens might have sent him in the tank for a while. And he even said that, you know, maybe things would have gotten worse before they would have gotten better. So, you know, I, I, I respect the fact that he's self-aware enough, you know, to understand um, the issue, understand what it might have done to him in the past. And, you know, thanks to the things that he has done, you know, to make himself better, uh, it didn't happen in this most recent um, occasion, and you know, I always go back to. I always remember, you know, when the, on the day that the Steelers drafted him, I was on uh, the radio at the time, and Steelers PR brought over Daryl Drake, the late Daryl Drake, mm -hmm. who was at the time, you know, the Steelers wide receivers coach, and um, he loved Deontay Johnson. I mean, I don't know that, you know, I, I don't want to assume and say. Um, Deontay Johnson was Daryl Drake's guy in terms of the draft, but he really liked him as a player. Um, he talked about him in ways that made me, anyway, think of uh, comparison to Antonio Brown, mm. you know, without some of the side issues. Right. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, and I've always wondered what Daryl Drake's untimely death did to Deontay mm. Johnson's uh, maybe track, you know, to develop as a player. Because I just wonder if last year would have even turned out the way it did in terms of the drops if, you know, Daryl Drake, who, again, based on how he spoke about him, um, would have intervened or, you know, something. Maybe helped get into his head a little bit in a positive way and maybe affected some change quicker. But anyway, um, yeah, Deontay Johnson, in my mind, 
is the Steelers' best receiver, number one receiver anyway, in terms of what an NFL team means when it describes a guy, you know, as a number one receiver, the things that an NFL offense will do with uh, its number one receiver, what NFL defenses have to do uh, when they face a guy who's a legitimate number one receiver, um, you know, and it, yeah, it was, and it was, as Mike Tomlin would say, it was necessary. Yes. You know, Labs, I, that's that's terrific. I never even thought about the effect that Daryl Drake's passing would have on Deontay when, you know, we were up there I, I'm at camp. I see the effect on the players. I know that all the, all the players were hurting because they, he was so highly thought of. Uh, Coach Drake was just so highly thought of. He was loved by everybody in the organization, and especially in that wide receiver room when you talk to the wide receivers. This is all pre-COVID stuff. And then to think that, well, maybe the presence of Daryl Drake would have helped to mitigate the circumstances that Deontay found himself in. I wow, that's something I had not even considered. That that's that's I man, that's something. Yeah, because you remember too. You know, I remember Juju was torn up. Yes, by Daryl Drake's passing, and you know, Juju was a little bit more. He was still a very young person in terms of you know chronological age, but I mean, he was uh, more of a veteran. I think it was in the second, maybe second or third year, second year, maybe third year. I don't, I don't even remember now. Time flies uh, when you're having fun, Wolf. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, um, but uh, yeah, the, the impact that it had on even you know more quote unquote established you know veteran guys. Uh, I can only imagine because Deontay Johnson. I don't know that he ever. I think that was his rookie year, and so um, he may have been scouted and um, mentored a little bit by Daryl Drake in the off season leading up to that training camp. But, you know, Daryl Drake died right early, pretty early on in that training camp. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that it would have impacted Deontay Johnson, maybe emotionally as much as the other guys who had spent, you know, time in meeting rooms and stuff with uh, Daryl Drake, but he definitely lost out on, uh, the tutelage, the mentorship, what the things that I think would have uh, necessarily followed uh, as their relationship established itself. All right, Bob. Well, staying on the offensive side of the ball, and there was a lot. There was a lot of extensive talk about the instant replay, and you're asked and answered. Um, more, most particularly about the Ray Ray McLeod um, catch. No catch. It was reviewed people wondering why wasn't a DPI called, <laughs> um, you know, and, and more replay, more replay. We need more replay. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> but, but just kind of talk about just kind of, I think, you know, fans expectations when they go into a replay, they expect them to like find every single missed play call and penalty when they go back for a replay play and how that's obviously a not conducive and B not, not why the rule was put in place. Yeah, let me just, uh, you know, for the fans who uh, always want replay, more replay, I would imagine that none of them are sitting in the stands uh, in the Northeast <laughs> in November and December. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. uh, just imagine if you I'm sure you guys watched at least some of the. Or on sidelines. Or on sidelines, Bob. <laughs> or on sidelines. Side <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to forget those guys. Certainly. Yeah, can't but forget those guys. If you watched the Buffalo game, Buffalo game last night, imagine, Ooh. you know, 
sitting through a three-minute oh. replay in that weather. And you know, this is the thing that you know always gets to me anyway is, you know, it's supposed to be for clear and obvious mistakes. And if you're staring into a monitor uh, with a headset on talking to New York for three minutes, maybe more, it's not clear and obvious. So the call yeah. on the field should stand, whatever the call on the field is. And, you know, I always go back to this, too. Um, the day the replay was first instituted, passed, it was in, I believe, 1985. We were at training camp, um, and Chuck Knoll was asked and agreed to, you know, meet the media and talk about you know, the passage of replay. And Chuck was very anti-instant replay as an officiating tool. And in talking about it, you know, he made that clear. And one of the um, writers at the time, because there really wasn't any other media in 1985, but one of the writers at the time said, well, but Chuck, you know, it's, it's instituted to get the call right. And Noel looked at him, and he wasn't uh, angry or anything. He just said, well, but what if it doesn't? Yep. And yeah. And think about that for a second. What if it doesn't? And how many times, you know, have, have, has it not? You know, I mean, they come to a decision, certainly, but that doesn't necessarily make it the right one. Um, and so, uh, you know, to me, it's just, uh, I think it has impacted the on-field officials, too, because now those guys allow plays, you know, to carry on uh, relying on replay, you know, to fix things. Right. I don't think Kendrick Green deserved that penalty because the whistle should have blown. Yes. You know, let yeah. them know that the ball is dead, and he doesn't grab that guy. You know, these are the kinds of things that that are uh, kind of like the, you know, uh, the subplots of instant replay that really kind of a lot of times are glossed over or ignored or forgotten. But how many times have we seen that when is it an incomplete pass or did the, the, the pass rush, is, a, is, a, is it a sack, a strip sack? Right. You see guys flying at the ball. And, you know, there's a lot of unnecessary violence that, uh, that goes going on that if they just blew the whistle, everybody would stop. That's exactly it. I mean, Mike talked oh, about absolutely. that, the slow whistles. And, you know, when I heard that a couple of years ago, I started paying attention to it more, just listening because you're down there on the sidelines as I was at that time. Um, and and you, could, you could hear the whistle and see the referees. And, and yeah. That leads to more problems, and I, I look at that. Even you take a look at the, the hit Deontay was it? Yeah, Deontay took. Deontay's hit, yeah. Yeah, I mean when he got blasted on the sidelines there, and you, you think to yourself that that was pure defenseless receiver. I mean it wasn't even close. And I I don't know. Sometimes you just kind of shake your head. But the fact is, what if you don't? The point you make with Ray Ray McLeod is that took way too long to be able to see if it's clear and obvious. And then that by the fact that it took way too long, it clearly was not clear and obvious. You know what I mean? So the, the rule, yeah. the ruling on the field should have stood. I thought it was a great reply by you. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about this, you know, weeks ago uh, on this very show about age. Did you see the official who was injured? I hope he's okay from the Steelers-Ravens game. Yeah, no, I the didn't see him. Max, did you? Or Don, oh, yeah. You were down yeah. on the field. Okay, they took yeah. him into the tent, the medical tent on the Raven side. I yeah. had him on the binoculars. He looked to me to be 70 years old, 60 at least, 65. I mean, no, what's he no, doing? No on? question. 
Hmm. Exactly. You know, exactly. And then, yeah, and then had to get carted off after. Yeah, I mean, and again, I, I hope he's okay. I don't, I don't wish any ill, you know, to those guys. But they shouldn't be. You, you know, you can't defend yourself. True. Um, the NFL players, a lot of times, are not allowed on the sideline if they're, you know, mixed up. Maybe they're in a walking boot or a lot of other things. And they'll say, well, he can't defend himself on the sideline. Well, imagine a 65-year-old man who's standing out in the middle of the field during yeah. the game. I mean, <laughs> I'd rather try and cross, uh, cross the uh, I-79 at rush hour. Yeah. If that's what it's like. <laughs> I, I, Pretty I, much. I mean, it, it, doesn't, it, it has never made any sense to me. And the more I watch it and the more questions I get and talk about it, it makes less sense every time. The topic comes up, but it's never going to change. I've given up on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's it's like it's like it's like playing a game of Frogger um, for referees <laughs> out there. So you figured you'd want guys that that still have some pretty uh, <clears throat> pretty intact ACLs um, out there. I, in fact, I would even disqualify myself from ever consider it not that i would ever consider donning stripes um as we know as oh no i, I thought say, you were talking about running across the parkway <laughs> oh, oh that, 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 that's i disqualify my myself mind. yeah exactly unless there's a bridge involved that arcs over it uh i'm not crossing any highway um under any circumstances i just sit there throw my thumb out the side or or something like hey now i need somebody to pull me off i'm not i'm not getting across how do you need to get I need to get through six lanes of traffic. I need to get to the no. other side. But, but Bob, um, also just you know, kind of, kind of, kind of, I guess, putting a bow um, today on on really the the Ravens game in, in and of itself. Um, you know, when you look at just the history of this rivalry, um, were you surprised about Harbaugh going for two at the end of the game to end it instead of? Uh, instead of trying to tie it up and going into overtime? No. Um, and I really liked um, Mike Tomlin's answer to that after the game because that is a Harbaugh tendency. He is an analytics guy. Right. And that, in, in that sense, it makes him somewhat predictable. Um, but, you know, I always go back to something that Kevin Colbert told me, and I've come to agree with it, that in that situation, and Mike Tomlin did that, uh, against the Chargers, I don't know if it was, a, and it was San Diego, San Diego at the time. Yes. Whether it was uh, a Sunday night game or a Monday night game, but it was a night game on the West Coast. 2015, I remember that specifically because Michael Vick started the game. And um, he, he went, uh, it was a down close to the goal line at the end of regulation, kick a field goal to tie and go into overtime, or um, uh, go for the touchdown to win. And the Steelers went for the touchdown to win, but they came out in the Wildcat, snapped the ball to Le'Veon Bell, and he got into the end zone. Yep. So what Kevin Colbert told me after that game was, when I was talking to him about you know the, the, the thinking behind that kind of situation, he said, look, in that situation, you have to make one play to win the game. Done. He said, if you kick it, he said, you got to make the field goal, so that's one play. Then in overtime, he, he, if you win the toss or not, you're still probably going to have to make a half dozen more plays to get out of in, in situations, you know, uh, to get out of there with a win. Mm. He said, your odds are better one play, one time. Let's do it. And, you know, it seems 
you know, you're pushing all your chips into the middle of the table and rolling the dice. But when you look at um, in the Steelers situation, first of all, the Chargers had probably no sense that the Steelers were going to come out in a wildcat. And at the time, you probably had the best running back in the league. Yep. So those are things in your favor. In the Ravens' favor, you have Lamar Jackson, who can beat a defense so many different ways. Um, and as Mike Carmel was saying in his news conference, the reason they called the timeout before that was he wanted to make sure that whatever defensive uh, personnel grouping they were in, that they were covered against a potential just snap it to Lamar Jackson and let him run the ball up the middle. Because, you know, you get a little thinking, well, like, you know, we got to go, we're going nickel or dime or, you know, and you forget that this guy can just, he's a running back too. Right. And so he can just run the ball right up the middle. So um, with Lamar Jackson, the multifaceted weapon that he is, you know, to me that made perfect sense uh, for Harbaugh to try and do that. You know, thank God for D.J. Watt. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Labs, I want to thank you so very much for coming on, my friend. We appreciate your input. Always a friend of the okay, show. Bob. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Have Bob. A good trip to Minnesota. <laughs> okay. Thank you, man. All right. Well, there too, Max. Exactly. Exactly. Wolf, Wolf's getting a good warm up before he has to fly out. So that's good. All right. All right. We'll be back with more. It's Wolf Starks and the Ninjas in the locker room, ESPN Pittsburgh, Steelers Nation Radio. is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Today is the 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And, uh, you know, I just brought that up just because I, I, I uh, was so blessed a few, couple years ago. They had uh, salute, to, salute to service at Heinz Field. And I got to meet a surviving member uh, of a, a uh, group that was at Pearl Harbor, and they survived the attack. And I got to tell you, to shake that man's hand was uh, really an overwhelming experience to know what he had seen, what he had done, what he had survived in his time. And you just you appreciate these men and women that go out there, our armed forces men and women, uh, you know, our, our first responders, you know, our, our men and women of the police force and everything, all the things that they do, man, ah, it just, it's those sobering moments when you remember a Pearl Harbor that, and having met those people and you think, wow, that, that really is something unbelievable. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's one of those that allows you to take, you know, just take a moment to reflect. Like it, it puts things in perspective, yes. um, you know, how far we've come since then, but also, you know, the moments that, that really define generations, right? I mean, you know, you think of the baby boomers that ensued after that. You think of, you know, what this country had to do and how in those moments, we're all one. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the <laughs> truth, know? Max, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, it, it doesn't come down to color, race, creed, preferences, and everything else. Like, you just become an American in those moments. You know, and I was watching, um, I forgot what special I was watching, uh, and it was talking about how, um, like, during uh, dur during the whole Star Wars, you know, time for Ronald Reagan uh, creating right. that, and, 
and, and he, uh, uh, you know, he talked to Mikhail Gorbachev, and he asked him this simple question. He said, hey, if we ever got attacked from some type of external threat, would you have our backs? And he was like, absolutely. <laughs> and, and that, 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 you know, so it just goes to show how you know, great When you're talking about an external conflict. threat, what would yeah. that be? The, out, out of this world threat. Yes. The, 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 Other, the, Martians, threat. the Martians yeah, are coming. Uh, Anyways, but but what I'm saying is it just it goes to show you that when that when you're threatened, there's no division. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 and, and how people can rise up and create new relationships and new opportunities. You know, you don't wish for these type of situations to prove that we would like to do it under less strenuous circumstances. Right. But it's amazing to reflect upon those moments and just you see how great people can be in those moments. And it just it gives you. It gives you hope. Um, it, it, it gives you great appreciation, like you said, for those that are on the front lines and those that are first responders um, that that do the hard work that you know ninety eight percent of us don't want to do, but there's a two percent that do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, it's a privilege and a blessing, uh, you know. It, and just thinking about that, and of course, our thoughts and prayers with everybody that's out there celebrating right. and remembering this day, um, because obviously Hawaii has. Has uh, has some weather issues, right? That yeah, a lot, of, a lot of rain getting dumped out there on the islands. <laughs> yeah, that the yeah an island with a lot of rain—that's not—that's not my ideal scenario. I want to be in. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's so funny? Uh, I'm going to completely flip the script here, but I was thinking about this this morning because I was reading about Ad Adam Thielen, Thielen or something. You know, what I mean, Thielen, that's Thielen, the, Thielen, Thielen. Okay, all right. You the wide say, receiver. You got to say his name if he does play. If he that's doesn't, right. you're off the hook. Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, you know where he's from? What school? Uh, Minnesota State. All right. Minnesota State. Now, think about this. That used uh -huh. to be Mankato State. Mankato State was where uh, the Vikings held training camp when I played two years, my last two years in the league, with the Vikings. Okay. And we went to Mankato State. But they had Craig T. Nelson in the coach, uh, in the sitcom coach, who was coaching at Minnesota State, and that became, Mankato State became Minnesota State. But here's the beauty of it. You know, Bill Fogerbaki, all right? He's the guy okay. that played Dobber Dubinsky, okay? Are you, you can't, catching up with me? All right, you tracking yeah, with I, me? I, I, okay. I, I got it, I got it. All right, this is how Wolf my mind works. He's at training camp. Yes, he, no. He's at the mess hall <laughs> in Mankato State. Got no, it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> No. I'm, putting, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm putting six degrees of, of Bill Fogerbaki okay. to me. Okay. okay. Here okay. we go. Fogerbaki, Fogerbaki to Wolf. Got okay. it. Got it. So I go out to ski in a tournament at Miami Dolphins. Uh, player, um, Bob, uh, not Bob Baumauer. There was another defensive back. I can't remember right now off, off the top of my head. Okay. But anyhow, he's got a ski tournament out there in Montana. That There's to, a dolphin on the mountain. <laughs> A guy who played for the Dolphins and then oh, he okay. held a sorry, sorry. ski tournament sorry, to raise sorry. money for the. I mean, I knew it wasn't a snowflake. I knew it wasn't a real porpoise sliding down the mountain. I mean, I know that. I, I know that much. This is getting way out <laughs> there. We have Peter calling this show if if that's what happened. Okay, no, okay. I got it. Okay, so, so we're this skiing this Dolphins yeah, yeah. has He's, a ski tournament. Yes, to a raise Miami money. Guy, yeah, yes. Miami guy is throwing a ski tournament. Just think yes, about that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Okay. So anyhow, we're up there, and I meet Bill Fogerbaki, right? 
So we yeah. ski together a little bit. He's he's a great guy. He's nothing like his his you know the guy they played Dauber. You know, kind of like the dumb football guy that you know will played for Hayden Fox, the, the coach, right? But the funny thing about it was he also is the voice of uh, Patrick in SpongeBob SquarePants, okay? So, you, yeah. yeah, all right, yeah. He's, he's the voice of it. So when my kids found out that I actually skied, you know, with Bill Fagerbacke, but they didn't say, you skied with Bill Fagerbacke, you skied with, with Patrick. I said, exactly. no, he's just the voice. Go, no, you skied so- with Patrick. So, so let, let's, let, let me just put this together for you. <laughs> this ought to be good. This, this is a good one. So Wolf goes to Minnesota. Right. Which then leads to uh, a, dol- a dolphin and a Viking go down a hill <laughs> with a starfish. <laughs> is that what you're telling me? Is that's, that what you're telling me? That's roughly it. <laughs> Wolf skied with a starfish. That's pretty much what you're telling me. <laughs> But because he was asked by the porpoise to come to the mountain. <laughs> I think that's a wrap. I think hey, there it. it is. There it is. We got it all together. Six degrees. Of separation. Oh, oh my goodness. Well, I must put a gun here. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like, it sounds like a bad Pirates of the Caribbean uh, line, like a side it story. It really does. Wolf oh, fell man. overboard on his Viking ship, and therefore... <laughs> Talk to the talking porpoise that made him go to the mountain to, to ski down with a porpoise. All right, more, no, more, from, uh, more from fairy tale. It's a porpoise. A dolphin is a porpoise. Okay. The talking gray animal with flippers. <laughs> Which used to be a TV show in my day called Flipper. That there was you. Flipper. That was Flipper. And then Snowflake was the uh, was the fictional character for the Miami Dolphins uh, in Ace Ventura. So oh, that's right. there we go. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. yeah. Uh, you know, when I, I the first time I played against Miami in the Orange Bowl, right? They had that 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 dolphin in a pool at behind the end zone. Oh, that was yeah. they did. So there that was, was a real sight. That, that was, was a, a real, real sight. That was a real dolphin. They had a dolphin in a pool in the Miami Stadium there at the old Orange Bowl. Did 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 he kick field goals? No. Like the one he in didn't. the movie. No, he okay. didn't. Okay, kick. he didn't kick field goals. No, okay. there was no checking. kicking of field goals. Well, no, they had like this little thing, and and they would put the ball in the water, and the thing would flap it oh, up. I didn't oh, know if that was I a real see. thing. Yeah, no, no, not not coming on the field, like you know, like <laughs> I'm going. No, that doesn't work like that. Yeah, no, not pulling a Tom Tupa. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just I, we're just gonna wheel out this tank and have him kick the field goal for us. Yeah, good luck trying to block it. Do you, does anybody have floaties? <laughs> <laughs> no, you I need know some that. wings. You need some wings yeah. there. <laughs> Just some water wings. It doesn't get over the shoulders. You can't do the vest. <laughs> oh my heavens! Oh my goodness! I I can't even yeah. believe how we got here. <laughs> That's this. It, you know how it started? It started with a vi- you were on a Viking ship. You fell overboard. You talked to a porpoise to go to the Magic Mountain to ski down with a starfish. That's how it happened. That's it how it happened. It started with Adam Thielen. <laughs> Yeah, Adam Thielen led this whole charade right here. The charade from Mankato State (laughs) to becoming Minnesota State on account of. Yes, and that's it. But I will say this, come to think of it, if he doesn't play, that's definitely a a thing in favor of the Steelers, wouldn't you say? No, I I definitely think so because now you can key in on Justin Jefferson um, because Justin Jefferson, without Adam Thielen, like Adam Thielen goes out the first drive in the Lions game. Yep. 
Justin Jefferson goes on to have 183 yards receiving and a touchdown. So attention needs to be paid <laughs> towards him. <laughs> right. Hello. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you still got – you have Dalvin Cook out, so Anthony Madison filling in. But Anthony Madison also rushed for 100, um, you know, I think 124 yards or something like that. Um, you know, the biggest thing, I think, when you look at the Minnesota Vikings offensively, um, the biggest thing you have to think about is pressure. Pressure on Kirk Cousins, which the Detroit Lions were able to put on him. Um, and then, and then, surprisingly enough, Minnesota going for the amount of two-point conversions that they went for. Like, they chased a lot of opportunities. You know, you miss a field goal, and then you go for, I think, was it three or four straight uh, two-point conversions? I can't remember. Yeah, I, I want to say, I, I know three for sure in the second half, um, and you lose by two points. I'm just Great saying. Great googly moogly, yeah. Exactly. You actually could have won that game had you just kicked the extra points. But, um, but I think that's going to be the biggest thing, pressuring and pressuring Kirk Cousins and, of course, being able to mitigate the run game because that's something with the offensive line, they've been shuffling guys in and out. Guys right. are out of position. So there is an opportunity there, and we'll kind of break that down in the next segment. But, uh, yeah, the pressure on Kirk Cousins is going to be premium, especially on this short week. He's one of those guys I don't want to hear him say, I don't want him come off the field and say, you like that, right? No, we don't like that. We don't want that. You know, that one, that one comeback victory that he led – uh, last was it last year or the year before when he came off the field and he was all excited about it? He oh yeah, spoke into the camera. He says, "You like that?" Nah, you like that? No, you, you have to do oh. a squeaky voice. You like that? You like that? It's <laughs> like, what is that? I was like, what in the what in the twelve year old puberty voice was that that he just said? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got to go to break, Max. Right. Hang tight, buddy. We're gonna go to break. We'll be back with more. We'll start with your phone calls coming up. You got Wolf Starks and the Ninjas in the locker room. The number is four one two nine one nine one three one six. We'll be back after this.